Hello, it's Danny Howe, your host uh, of Tales from Southern Indiana, coming back a little sooner than I have in the past. A um, little window of, uh, of uh, restful time has emerged and got me to thinking about more strange topics about the land I'm from, Southern Indiana, which is, again, not that flat part of the Midwest. It's the hilly part, and it's uh, much more interesting and picturesque and nevertheless full of people just as odd as you'll find in the flat parts of the state. Now, it seems like we've, we've, we've touched on a lot of topics in, in the podcast involving things that bite uh, people, and uh, we just talked recently about fleas, but I got to thinking, you know, that maybe the reason that folks don't really ever hug each other, or, well, they'll shake hands, but they won't enjoy it, uh, maybe it's because of all the things that bit, bit us in that part of the country while, we, while I was growing up anyway, and made me want to delve a little bit once again into the history of things that bought that bit folks in uh, in the southern part of the state you know we had well shoot i mean you know i i uh, we had the monkey at the end of the street that i've spoken about before who uh was drunk all the time because he drank whiskey and would bite the neighborhood children quite often and um dogs of course everybody had to worry about uh as nobody really seemed to chain them up back then everybody wanted free-range dogs um to uh, uh to be ready to attack anyone who might dare come near their house because they didn't want anybody nobody had welcome mats in southern indiana and i had a hamster when i was a young boy and uh, it bit me in the thumb which i didn't appreciate and i slung it across the room and uh, it came out visiting for about a month or so, living in various parts of the house. We never did catch it again to go back and run on its little wheel. But, uh, you know, there were, um, and there are, you know, some nasty poisonous snakes in that part of the country. Um, there are uh, copperheads, which grow quite long. And, uh, you know, I, the story that my friends shared with me about four three-foot-long copperheads that had taken up residence in the back step underneath uh, some rocks uh, at his mother's home, and that he uh, felt moved to go with his son and take a shotgun, and he would reach in and grab the copperheads one at a time and yank them out so his son could shoot them in the head with the shotgun. This has been something that's so impressed me that it's made its way into a couple of other of the podcast discussions. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just a, a sort of a, of a life that one expects things to attack you um, when you're not looking that will, that will bite you. And so I was wandering back through history of the old papers, and one of the things that I had actually not heard about before was the kissing bug. And it's called the kissing bug because it bites you while you're sleeping on the lip. And uh, it, not a pretty thing, and apparently hurts quite a bit. And uh, back in 1899, uh, there was the first article that I saw where the kissing bug had migrated from the south, as almost all things that bite you seem to do at one point or another, uh, and bit someone in Seymour, Indiana, not too far from where I grew up. Uh, and uh, it apparently said he was severely kissed, it says. <laughs> Severely kissed on the lip, and his face was badly swollen. And then it also mentioned that a lady is also reported to have been kissed, although it doesn't actually say that she was kissed by the bug. And, of course, there were, you know, always uh, uh, the dangers of spider bites. We worry about them, you know, when you're sleeping. You think, well, a spider will bite me when I'm asleep. And uh, some people think that happens quite a lot. Some people disagree. An article here from 1904 from my hometown paper uh, about uh, 
a person, a widow, uh, who died in her residence um, Thursday afternoon in terrible agony as the result of a bite from a spider inflicted while she was making her toilet. So there's a word of advice on just, you know, to be extra careful at different times and locations in your life. And, of course, there was, there was you know, quite an amazing turn of events medically when there was a rabies vaccine because people died of, um, of rabies, uh, hydrophobia, they called it back then, quite regularly. And Louis Pasteur uh, discovered uh, and, and I guess uh, managed to develop the first vaccine that could be given to people who had been bitten um, by a rabid dog or rabid whatever. And um, uh, a, a desperate mother brought a nine-year-old child uh, to him, and he was able to try it for the first time on, uh, on a human being, and it worked. And afterward, uh, I saw many, many articles about what they called a Pasteur treatment. It was an article from 1930 from my county seat in my county that I grew up in. It said a dog bit three men quite quickly uh, at, the, uh, at a limestone quarry. Um, and uh, they were all successfully treated uh, by the what they referred to then as the pasteur treatment. Now, of course, I mentioned monkeys biting. We didn't have a lot of monkeys in southern Indiana, but any that we did, I think we were all suspicious they might well bite you at any given time. And there was an article, this was in the 1930s, is that uh, it's a lawsuit arising out of the monkey bites. As a, as a result of being bitten by a pet monkey, um, Mrs. Sarah Herlow uh, of so-and-so address filed suit against the owner of the monkey for $3,000, and her husband also sued for $3,000 for loss of services. Amazing how those numbers matched out evenly. And then, of course, one of the things that I think is just, you know, somehow seems not surprising to me, even though I've never heard of it before, a, a woman back in 1910... Um, she wore what's called a rat in the hair, and, and this is something that dated back to Victorian times. It was a, uh, a sort of a, uh, a hairpiece that was inserted in what otherwise would be a lot of hair on your head to make it look even bigger, because apparently back in Victorian days, uh, big hair signified health and wealth, and along with wigs for men, there were ratted pieces for women used to fill the hair and create wide bottom styles. So, the problem, of course, is like anything that, that sits on your head, you never know what might be in it that you didn't know about and don't want. And so here's an article from uh, 1910 uh, about a lady who um, was bitten several times um, in the head. So she, said she um, went to work at the department store and her head began to itch and hurt. And when her hair was uh, taken down and this, this rat device was removed from it, there were several small red splotches discovered on her head, and when the rat was shaken out, a six-inch moccasin snake dropped to the floor and wriggled away. So there's a word for, you know, again, it's nice to have just your own hair on your head because it's much easier to spot a small snake uh, than, than it would be if you wore a device like that. I finally, I think that, you know, I, it, it, I sort of moved back to my favorite old topic of uh, looking at uh, movies about the things that took our minds off of the nasty things like fleas and ticks and 
rats and scabies and all sorts of other things. And one of the things that I noticed that I'd actually forgotten in the era of Dracula movies was the sequel to the original Dracula film, uh, directed by Todd Browning. This one was not directed by Todd Browning, and it didn't have Bela Lugosi in it, but it still was apparently considered a pretty good film for its day, called Dracula's Daughter, and it had a different twist. Dracula's Daughter didn't want to be a vampire. Um, You know, it's tough for people who have to follow in the shoes of their parents. A lot of of children don't really want to do that, and they want to aspire to something else, but they just don't have any choice for one reason or another. Uh, You know, it might well be some unpleasant, uh, you know, job like, uh, you know, maybe dealing with sewage or something. But in this case, it was drinking blood, and she didn't want to drink blood. So she went to a psychiatrist. I, I don't know what she thought the psychiatrist was going to do for her vampirism, and I don't know what the psychiatrist thought, but I haven't seen the movie, so maybe there was something powerful in the treatment of mental health back then that could somehow sway the uh, the otherwise permanent condition of being a vampire uh, and bring it into the light, so to speak, without perhaps killing the, killing the, the patient in the process. So Dracula's Daughter, I think, would be one that I would look at right now as I want to avoid... Uh, the nightmares of some of these nasty things that I've just shared with you. Uh, Happy topic next time, I promise. And meanwhile, um, take care and uh, I'll talk to you later.